You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. It is deer season. Well, almost. I mean, it feels like deer season. I think the high this morning was like 50 some degrees. It felt very September-esque, folks, and I'm jacked up as far as whitetail season is concerned. I've been tinkering in the garage. I've been messing with my gear after the kids go down. I am, uh, I don't want to come out the gates too hot, but man, I'm looking forward to fall. This is the Whitetail Experience Podcast. This is your host, Byron Horton. Man, uh, last Saturday, I got the small farm. Oh, I did some work out there as far as that's concerned. And uh, we'll get to today's guest. A great conversation with Chris Wiest out of PA. Uh, guys hunted, uh, I don't know, for a long time. Killed some nice bucks. We talk out-of-state hunting. We talk hunting cabins. We talk shoving a buck in the back of the car uh, with a climber and going to football practice. Uh, transitioning to the stick bow. It's a, it's a solid but I'll fill you in on what we got going on um, as far as myself and the crew. Like I said, prepped the small farm ooh, a little bit a couple uh, last weekend. Just hung a couple sets, a couple ladder sticks as well. Uh, that's something I, I do some, uh, on that piece is I don't necessarily have a tree stand in the top, but uh, I've got a couple like Eberhardt trees prepped with just sticks in them, so it's like a limited running gun. And I like doing that because... Oh, it saves me a little bit of time, and it's, you know, kind of make sure nobody else is hunting it as well. So I got that. Oh, I sprayed for my C-minus level food plots I'll do out there. Generally, I do like a rye and crimson clover mix, and I'll try and do that layered rye approach that uh, Jeff Sturgis does on his channel where you, like, put 100 pounds per acre, um, and out there I got about a mm, quarter acre-ish. And so you put it down at that rate, 100 pounds per acre. And then you come back, oh, two to three weeks later, do it again. Two to three weeks later, do it again. And I think his process for, uh, let's call it southern Indiana, southern Ohio, that level, you do you want to get your first planting somewhere either super late August or early September. So I will do that when time allows. I'd love to get out another batch of cams, like a cluster of four or six. Not 100% sure if that's going to happen. I got my daughter's birthday coming up. And so, like, I am on smoker duty, food prep, be here at the house type uh, vibes from the wife. Who knows? Maybe I'll just put it on super good this week and then Sunday slip into the timber for a bit of time. Because, dude, I need it. I feel so much better after I spend some time out in the woods, uh, either working up a sweat or just doing stuff that I like to do. There is some sort of caveman type energy that gets released, and I'm a better individual after that. But... Other than that, oh, Patreon, I appreciate you guys to the most. I did put out a killer, like, screen recording of how I did a high-level reel, some editing tips, tricks, stuff like that on there. Uh, if you're interested in joining that, uh, 
take a look at our Patreon. I try to post that, I don't know, once a week in a story. I did put out an interesting video on YouTube that is getting a lot of comments, and that is the have we hit the public land boom and is that trend over? Is it, is it, is it going to start coming back to normal? And I have some overall thoughts on like how that happened via the THP boom, the Onyx getting to the phones and, you know, just the popularity of it, COVID. But uh, yeah, you might want to check that video out if you're a public land guy and uh, see some of the comments on there. A lot of good stuff coming in on that front. I appreciate you guys listening. Uh, enjoy the podcast. All right, guys, this is the Whitetail Experience Podcast. I am excited to get on today's guest that I picked up. I've actually heard him on a few podcasts, but um, he had some things talking about on the Exodus podcast recently that I was really intrigued about. He's also pulled like over 900 pounds on a deadlift, but uh, Chris has has gotten rid of all the compound bows in his arsenal and is going all in on the trad life. And if you guys have followed my story uh, I'm. I think I'm gonna dabble this fall. Um, but Chris, welcome to the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, dude. Glad to be here. Uh, Chris, where whereabouts do you reside as far as home state, and maybe like a quick uh, elevator speech on where you are, what you do for a living, and uh, what you like to do as far as whitetails and hunting. Yeah, so uh, Chris Weist, I'm from let's say West Central Pennsylvania. Uh, I'm a robot operator and welder for a living. Um, but uh, Volvo construction equipment, and um, here in PA, I just grew up probably like everybody else. Uh, dad got got me into it real young, and just throwing me in his coat pocket every chance he could get out in the woods too. So I've been in it as long as uh, probably before I could even remember, and uh, just kind of kicked off from there, man. Like everyone else, shooting deer, whatever walks through first, and now we are where we are. Yeah. And haven't you, don't you work second shift because you can get in the woods a touch more in the fall? Uh, yeah, you know, I've, I've uh, kind of jumped around on shifts, whatever I needed to, needed to, uh, to be on the hunt or whatever, you know, whatever. And I can adjust to whatever shift I'm on, but right now I'm on second. Yeah. It works out pretty good. I like it. Yeah. And do you, um, I don't know, like I don't hunt a ton from like October or let's just call it one to the 15th ish and then there's a pretty good uptick and then last week of october comes a few vacation days what is your like pto or attack from october one to let's call it the end of november so i'll just use like this year's example because i feel like it's pretty similar to what i had going on in the last maybe like two years so i usually always um take off a couple days around the opener i'll go to ohio around the opener and then um I kind of wait until that uh, October 15th through the 20th, I'll take a week and really focus on scrapes. And then um, I bounce between that and like the end of October, around the Halloween time. And then I usually try to be a solid pound, you know, second second week of November at least. Okay. Uh, do you hunt a lot the first week of November or do you take two days or? I'll do, as soon as season opens, I'm, Every day I can get in the woods, I'll be there. Okay, nice, nice. Um, so, Chris, I have, you know, why did you decide, hey, I'm going to go full stick? Because on the Exodus podcast, you had talked about you'd, you'd shot a few does with your stick bow, and you were kind of half transitioning, half liking it. I guess, start things off. Why did you say, hey, I want to pick up a stick bow? 
and then talk about maybe this year going like I've sold all the compounds. This is what I want to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was kind of talking to Jake about that as far as like, um, I think it comes from being an athlete uh, growing up my, you know, my whole life. It's just like, and then I think it's all mentality too. Like I'm all, I'm the kind of guy where like, it doesn't matter what it is in my life. Like I'll do something, but at the end of the day, I feel like it wasn't good enough. So I got to keep doing something different all the time and try to make myself feel better about it. So I, I just shot a lot of deer with my compound and I feel like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not an expert. I don't consider myself an expert. You know, I just feel like I'm pretty proficient at it, but I would just kind of lost that. Like the bill walks in with my compound. I'm like, well, that's a pretty much a done deal. Mm -hmm. just, but uh, I was just looking for that extra challenge, man. You know, I shot this couple deer with uh, the trad bow in the past, and it was definitely a different feeling. There's a lot more variables. There's a lot more things that have to happen to, to make the shot. Um, it's not just looking through a peep, looking at your pin, putting a pin on, and pulling the trigger anymore. It's uh, there's a lot more, a uh, lot more shot to execute shooting the trad bow. A lot more things can go wrong. So. Yeah, I think that uh, that uh, piques my interest a lot. Yeah, it, so it's always been on my radar. My buddy Dave picked up the stick in like 2017, 2018. He had a couple of years where he knocked down some nice bucks, like some 130, 140 class. And he's like, uh, I think I'm going to pick up the stick. Um, and he's dabbled in it every, every, you know, ever since then, but never kind of fully gone back to it. But uh, a hunting mentor of mine, has killed a couple DIY elk, uh, like a 340 bull, and a handful of good whitetails, including a, a nice 200-incher. Uh, but um, he talked to me on the phone one day, and he said, man, he goes, I always said I was going to do it when I killed like a 150. And then I said I was going to do it when I uh, I killed a 160. And then he goes, I blink. It's 15 years later. I'm getting older in age, and I never did it. And so he, him and I literally in that conversation came up with the plan that, that I'm trying to execute on this year is – grab it for October, hunt all of October with it. And that way in five years, I'll have five months of stick bow hunting experience. And my thought was when I run across a, a good one, I'll just be so much more in tune with what, what needs to be, especially like uh, in picking the right tree. Mm -hmm. um, so that's yeah, kind of, so that, that, that was the conversation I had where I'm like, I got to do this. I kind of feel like I made that, um, that big step, that decision to sell everything because I got to hold myself accountable because mm -hmm. I'm really bad for talking myself out of things sometimes at heat of the moment. Um, so last year I was supposed to have gone all trad in Pennsylvania and I was just going to take the compound Ohio. And I really didn't have anything um, giant on camera last year in PA. So I actually put probably about maybe a third of the work into Pennsylvania as far as scouting that I usually do just because mm -hmm. I didn't have anything on camera. And uh, that I had one buck that was I thought was probably low 30, right around that 30 mark. And I said, All right, I'll, I'll hunt that deer. So I took the trad bow in, and uh, the first time I hunted him, I had him come in there at a six point leading, 6.1 underneath the stand, hit my boot trail, lost his mind. I don't think I've ever seen a deer lose his mind like that, like that early in the season. But this deer just turned inside out, and it's that 10 standing at like 28 yards. And obviously, he wouldn't commit at that point. What time of year was this? Uh, this was the second day of season. So early October, if you'd have killed a 130 class, I don't know if it's mountain buck or, or whatever, big woods, like, dude, that would have been a 
freaking like the greatness. Like you gave greatness a chance. It almost happened. Like that is so cool. Oh, yep. So, uh, well, actually, I did kill the deer, but so that that was that first encounter. You know, he he held up at twenty eight. They didn't see me or or he didn't smell me. He just didn't know why the other deer lost his mind. So they just kind of backtracked real slow back where they come from. Mm-hmm. So I waited until I got that same wind on uh, the Friday uh, following, and I went back in, and I had a buddy with me, and we split up, and he sat where I had sat that night, and I went and sat lower to where the deer come out, that we had it all covered. Mm-hmm. And in the midst of that, I said, man, he said, I've already had one encounter with this deer. I should probably just take my compound, you know, so I could get a crack out of it and be done with it. So what did I do? I took my compound, and then I went in. I sneak in. I'm like, all right, like I know they come out like right here. There's a real faint trail coming off of those beds that, that we had found earlier in August. And I supposed to sit right here. And it wasn't 45 minutes before dark. The small buck comes through, comes right past the tree. No idea how he doesn't see me because I'm in this like super small pin oak tree. I'm like six, six, four, like 280 trying yeah. to hide in this little pin oak tree. I'm like 10 foot off the ground. Because I, I couldn't get no higher without starting to break limbs off the tree. He walks by like 10 yards. He, I think at one point he actually looked at me, but I don't know if he could figure out what I was. But he slid by me, and then here comes the 10. He comes in 12 yards, and I just shoot him, smoke him with a compound. And I'm like, man, I should have stuck to my roots. <laughs> oh, what a coulda, shoulda, man. And, and you have killed some does. Um, what do you think is the hardest thing for yourself now, having having done this for a few seasons, like, Coming from the compound to the stick bow, you're like, oh yeah, I didn't, I didn't see this being an issue, and it really is. Or, I don't know, what what, what were some things that stick out in this transition? Um, you know, as far as like a season for the stick bow, yeah, so like, uh, yeah, or or just things that you notice now you got to overcome. One fear of mine is I have always liked to tuck into trees or like branches and like vertical windows between branches but with the stick it's so much longer end to end and i i don't think i'm gonna hunt on the back side of as many trees like i used to a lot of times i feel like i would hunt on the back side of the tree kind of hide behind the trunk with the compound and stick it vertically just past the tree to shoot a lot of times and you can't do that with the stick so so that's something yeah. that i think i'm uh, is going to be way different for me so i feel like i'm going to have a lot of hurdles to uh to get over this season Mm-hmm. but our, at least I already have like a little bit of an idea of what it's going to play out like. Mm-hmm. So I, ahead of time, when I picked up my bow for the year, I already got uh, as short of a bow that I could handle with my draw length. So I got a 58 inch bow. I had a 64 inch bow and I'm like, man, like that's a lot of, that's a lot of bow to be hanging in a tree for the setups that I like to, to be in. Yeah. So I did get a 58 inch bow. So I don't really think I'm going to have a lot of limb to stand contact unless I'm shooting straight down. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, my setups are going to be a lot lower this year. So I'm hoping that uh, my, my shot opportunities are from like that 12 to 15 where I'm the most proficient. Uh, that way I'm not shooting straight down. Because I mean, I, I haven't had to encounter that just yet because the season's just coming. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, that's one big thing I hear from a lot of, uh, a lot of stick guys. Yeah, I hear the that that everyone shoots over the first deer that they shoot out, and and I I plan to only take two sticks with the stick, and obviously I got some meters, so I, if I really need to get like fifteen ish foot, that's probably the max. Um, but my thought is keep keep it low and level, kind of like what I shoot in the backyard, as far as I've got a little downhill slope, um, and then I've been shooting elevated just a touch, but try to keep that as like normal as possible. Um, 
but yeah they, 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 oh are you a saddle guy or are you a stand guy uh both i oh. i flirt with both of them whatever i need okay uh, i actually yeah when i when i do my scouting and i pick my trees and my setups i, I note all that stuff down uh if you know if i need because i only want to use two sticks but i'm going to carry three with me this year just in case it calls for it mm-hmm. so I, I note all that stuff down like hey i need to be on the back side of this um there's a low percentage that the deer are going to be on my weak side so i can saddle hunt this maybe i need to be three sticks high or you know i just note all the stuff down that way i know exactly what i need to take with me okay yeah yeah that's good i uh i don't i'll gun hunt with the saddle or film uh out of a saddle but i i don't I think I want, uh, I've always just been like very confident in the tree stand game and, and uh, I don't plan yep. to flirt much with the stick. I would think, I don't know this, but the, the stick might be harder. I feel like out of the, the, um, the saddle, if you're, especially if you're a leaner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we'll, we'll <laughs> time will tell. But, uh, yeah. 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 No, but All right, I, Chris. I do agree. I prefer the, uh, I prefer the hang on though, for sure. Okay. So, Chris, we are roughly, um, if you start on the Ohio opener, you're like a month and a half-ish, a month and three weeks out. Like, what are some of your to-do items now going into season? Uh, so, the, my first opener will be Maryland. It's September 8th. So, it's, oh. yeah, it's, right, it's right around the corner. Even better. Um, so, you got a month-ish. We're, we're just going to do round math. What, what, dude, like, what is going through your brain? What do you got to do this weekend? What's What's on the prep? Uh, well, I spent a lot of time in the woods already, you know, um, I would like to think I already have all my setups, uh, pretty much planned, uh, for Maryland, just from historical data that I have, I've already been, I went through there. I was there probably two weeks ago, something like that. And I threw up two more, two more cameras in there. I think I got five cameras on this piece that I hunt in Maryland and I've already went through and, and checked all the, uh, all the white oak trees and stuff that were dropping last year and man you're checking you're, what, you're on it checking what yeah they're really hitting uh do you guys have a lot of elderberries nope. where you're at nope so there's a clear cut on the top and there's a, just a shit ton of elderberries and wild raspberries and stuff and they're just they're browsing the shit out of that stuff right now and then uh had to check all those big white oaks that are in this cut because i mean we had a pretty hard frost this spring so the white oaks are like hit or miss, but the reds are really loaded heavy is what I'm seeing. And that's pretty common between here at home and Maryland, which is they're only uh, 45 minutes apart. So I'm sure it's the same same deal. But we had an early, early frost that really hurt the whites, I feel. Maybe that's what it was. I just noticed um, in my trail cam deployment in like uh july time period that i was i i was finding that the a couple reds that were holding and i just didn't didn't note any whites when i was out there and i wasn't looking super hard i didn't take my binos but it it, it had been really windy a couple days before and so i noted just ground nuts that i was finding or whatever and adding a couple extra notes um maybe that's what it was uh, what about like um shooting broadheads or uh taping up sticks any any gearish or, or practices you got to do right now to to be a month out um i have been messing with my stand setup already i've been up in a tree like three times i like to get up just a couple times here by the house just to get the rhythm mm-hmm. um but i've pretty much already painted my sticks uh wh- you know how i like them i've already taken them with me in the wood scouting and hooked them on some different trees and made sure they they looked like I wanted them to. Give them the old um, rattle can treatment. 
Yep, yep, yep. Flat gray and brown, and then they were black, so just all mixed together. They really blended good with the red for sure. And then the whites didn't look too bad either, I don't think. Um, my stand that I have, I'm looking at. I'm in my gear room now. I put some uh, camo burlap around the rim of the stand mm-hmm. around the base, and then uh, I just got the QU that suspension system hooked up on it. And what else did I do to that? Uh, I put a uh, I had an extra seat off another hang on mm-hmm. that uh, I put on the bottom side of the seat for knee pads. Because oh, nice. I had the uh, yeah I wore actual knee pads last year for saddle hunting and like I haven't found a good pair like they're all trash so far like they don't even make it a season and the buckles break because their knees against a tree and they're going in and out and the buckles just don't take it they rip and you know they're thirty forty bucks for a pair of good knee pads so yeah I just said heck with knee pads this year if I wear a saddle in my stand I can just flip the seat up and then have a pad underneath. Yeah, I think. Um, um, what is your mobile setup? Just share it for the for, for the listeners, and maybe I'll ask any follow ups. Yeah, so I just started working with Jason Red this year from Timber Ninja. Yeah. So yeah, so I got the uh, A1 aluminum sticks. Uh, really like those so far. Um, they're really light composite step. I honestly, they're so light, and I'm not like super super picky. Uh, I'm not overly concerned about weight. I feel mm-hmm. like I would be embarrassed with myself if I was just from weight training. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say. Um, yeah, I'm not going to I'm not going to give up a 10-pound stand for a 5-pound stand. <laughs> but uh yeah, he makes some really good carbon sticks and to be honest, like these are already like so light. I don't even know that I would need the carbon ones, but the carbon ones are sweet. And I have the um Timber Ninja black belt saddle, the two panel. It's really comfortable and I believe he I believe I'm getting a nano here soon just because it's so uh, I say maneuverable. You can like really pack it up light, like fold it into like a little ball and put it in your pocket. Basically, it's oh, like nice. it's like under like a one pound or something. Yeah, so I'm excited to get get one of those and try one of those. But as far as the um the stand, I just have a uh, old Millennium M7, but it's the aircraft aluminum. I think it's like 11 pounds or something. And I just the old a, M7 uh, I think was seven eight pounds though. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'd have to weigh it with nothing on it. I've had sure. it for a bunch of years. Yeah. But I just completely rigged it up. <laughs> uh, I got like a, a, a seat off a muddy stand on it and I got a lone wolf, lone wolf pad on the top and a hawk pad on the bottom. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, uh, uh, dude, it's pieced together how I wanted it. Uh, you know what I mean? I just built it like I need it. And I got, I put a, uh, just an HMB bolt holder on the side. Um, like the QU system. And then I have like some trophy line bags that I had off my old saddle. Mm-hmm. I actually, um, I put the, I really like this. I haven't even got to use it in the woods yet, but I put these trophy line bags on the hip, uh, the hip belt of my QU system. Mm-hmm. And I put like my, uh, my strap and other stuff in there, but like the actual saddle bags, I hooked it onto that. I really like that a lot. Do you use the, uh, QU, like the, the icon or one of their day bags? What, what bag do you use from QU? I don't have a bag. I just have the backpack suspension system for my stand. Yeah. Yeah, that carbon frame. So I put that one year on my um, 1.0 back in the day. And like the like tailbone area is phenomenal. And like the the shoulder riggings, like it's it's top tier. Like yep, yep. It, it's it does, super, super comfortable. Yeah, it's beyond comfortable. That's a that's a solid setup as far as rigging stuff to your back for sure. I think uh I weighed it just uh, for shits and giggles. I, I put uh I'm not gonna run a big pack unless um running the saddle where I can just throw the saddle inside. I'm just going to run a, a like an extra large fanny pack 
with mm-hmm. just like my mentalness stuff inside. I think with the uh, stand, three sticks, my fanny pack, uh, I think I'm at like 25 and a half pounds is what I'm carrying. It's nothing crazy. Okay, but you're gonna have some. You're gonna have some weight no matter what. So it doesn't really bother me that much. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you're a b- bigger guy, so, so so that makes it easier. I noticed. I noticed myself somewhere around the 30 pound mark. Like, you could put 35 pounds on my back or 50, and it just feels really heavy. But like, if I'm under 30 pounds, like I feel pretty good. I just I'm not built yeah, to, yeah. to. I'm built to go twice. If you look at like my natural frame or whatever, I'm built a lot more like a like a runner or swimmer than I am a a, a linebacker um but yeah that, once i uh, back in the day you rewind 10 years ago it was like 45 pounds running around the woods oh dude yeah tell me about it i had one that is like old steel 35 pound climbers mm-hmm. that i used all the time growing up i remember this i was uh when I, when I played football we had like this uh football breakfast meeting or whatever and it was in october and i was like well i'm hitting the woods first so i literally i had like drive this little ford escort in high school i like run this thing up into the mountain take all my stuff out i hike like a half a mile down into the timber i shoot this buck at like i don't know 645 like right <laughs> at first light so now i got uh i got this 35 pound steel stand i got an old matthews solo uh what was that featherweight or something it, i can't remember what it was um and i had all my heavy clothes on i packed all that stuff on my back and had this buck behind me dragging it up the mountain it took me like an hour and a half to get it out and i was going to be late for the breakfast so i just threw it in the trunk of my ford escort heads hanging out the trunk and i pull into the parking lot at denny's so i'm like hey coach <laughs> that is awesome that is that, that those are the stories that that people listen to podcasts for right there uh, that's hilarious. <laughs> i had a uh i had a field and stream climber that had like wing nuts that like attached the where you put your feet into the bar and I remember I uh, I was hunting some public. I left it in the woods for like three weeks, two weeks, and I was going to go hunt uh, a different part of the state. So I had to drive to the uh, the piece of public, go run in the woods and get it so that I could go out of state. Because that thing, dude, like I was ready to leave it there the rest of the, like I was like, I'll hunt on the ground the rest of the year. I hated it so much. And then I was like, a couple of days would go by and I'm like, I should probably go get that thing. Yep, yep. But looking back, like, honestly, it was probably a waste of $100. Uh, I, I probably should have just pocketed that cash for gas money and scouting money. Um, and just, I don't know, gone gone rogue and, and stayed on the ground. But um, Chris, let me ask this. Like, you uh, apparently go out of state. You've mentioned a few states here on the podcast. Do you, when you travel to hunt, are you truck camping? Is there some key aspects that you like to, like, hey, I'm going to go to Ohio for three days and, like, I like this tent or I sleep in the truck or I like these for meals. Like, is there some, some items that you want to bring up as far as hunting out of state's concerned? Um, see, that varies a lot. I have a cabin in Ohio. Oh, nice. Um, the, when my main piece in Ohio. So I hunt, uh, Maryland's close enough that I just drive there. It's mm-hmm. like 35 minutes from home. Okay. I think I will stay there, um, maybe a couple times this year just to get more hunts in. Yeah. But to be honest, um if i don't just buy a cheap tent uh i, I rough it a lot <laughs> for a lot of things i'll just sleep in my car if i have to i don't care oh like my gosh yeah i've done it before it's that's whatever see um, i think it's probably whatever for like a day or two but like if you like if you were gonna hunt hard for five days i feel like a good quality sleep like yeah yeah 
I would feel like you would ha have to go get a better like sleep system. Uh, who is it? Tony Peterson talks about this all the time. He goes, he goes, I'm not going to lie. Like I have a really plush, like I think blow up mattress now for his hunts. Cause he's <laughs> like, yeah, when I sleep good and I, I don't get like mm -hmm. fatigued on hunts, my mental attitude's better. Yep. So I don't know, man, I feel like for me, um, roughing it is almost like part of the experience. Like I can't have too much luxury. So like, um, I'm going to West Virginia this year too. And I'm taking my dad and I'm planning on like, we're going to like rough it. We're going to camp. And dad goes, I'm not sleeping on that effing ground for three days. He goes, I won't be able to walk when I get home because we're fine in the hotel. And I'm like, if that's what we got to do, I guess. But if I get on by myself, I'm probably going to end up sleeping in a tent or in my car. Okay. What about like meal prep? Do you take meals? Do you do dehydrated? Uh, what's your caffeine intake? Like, do you do like uh like almost like a pre-workout because that mixes with water? What about some of those items? Uh, you know, if, if I'm going to be, if I want to be real cheap, dude, I'll just, I'll just go to the store and pick up like lunch meat and peanut butter and jelly and bread and stuff and granola mm -hmm. bars, stuff like that. Um, and then I'll just buy some air, cheap energy drinks, throw them in my pack, whatever I need to do. Like, there's, I really don't have anything super like nifty or specific as far sure. as like food or it's, it's literally just whatever I need, whatever I can get my hands on. And I just, I just roll with it, kill and come home. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, can I ask about your, uh, your cabin situation in Ohio, as far as did you buy like, I don't know, three to five acres and near some public personally, like I'm kind of wanting to do that at some point in my life mm -hmm. to, and and I, I don't know, is it 10 acres where maybe you can have a stand site on it? If, um, you know, I'd love to grab something like that for me and my my son or um, also just get another piece of ground as an investment property as well. Yeah, yeah. So here's here's the uh, the deal with that. So I was just uh, actually you can keep you can keep this loose as far as like I don't need a county. I don't need a uh, yeah, yeah, a, yeah. exact size like you don't have to disclose a lot of details on this. But I yeah. think I think well, a lot of guys just, listening. Uh, listening to podcasts eventually want to buy a deer camp someday mm -hmm. yeah so i'll just say that it's like oops oh no and i actually just got super blessed uh my first year down there was 2021 and i went down and i did the same thing i just pretty much crashing in a tent uh that's what i did i slept by the river in a tent when i killed my buck down there in 2021 and uh, the 2000, yeah, 2022 season and the early summer, I was just scouting and I was looking for some, uh, different access in this piece of public. There was a township road that ran past somebody's house. And once it got to the guy's house, it kind of turned into a really shitty road. And I was like, man, I better stop and ask this guy, make sure it's not his ground. And I just, lo and behold, dude, I just, this guy had just bought the property two weeks before i showed up it wasn't a hunter he moved there to get away from uh politics from where he was from he's by himself he bought like uh 90 acres or something like that and it was an old farm homestead with 11 buildings on it and one of them was a hunting cabin and i just we just I and mean, i didn't know all this until later you know what i mean yeah we were just cut just cutting it up laughing he was just a super good dude and and uh, he had told me about the hunting cabin. I was like, well, you know, if you ever consider letting somebody use it, I said, I would pay you for your time, you know, while I was here. Yeah. And uh, he goes, well, you know, I haven't even looked inside of it. He goes, 
you want to go look at it? I was like, sure. So I hopped in the truck with him. We went and looked at it. And it was a little rough on the inside. It had been abandoned for four years. And he goes, man, I don't think I'd want anybody to stay here. And I said, dude, and I was like, this, this, babe, this bad boy just needs some TLC. He goes, you're crazy. I was like, I'm telling you. He goes, you know what? He goes, if you fix this thing up, he said, you can use it all you want. So I, so I've been, I've been working on that bad boy. Me and dad went down and put a new roof on it and fixed it up. And yeah, we just have a, just have a really good relationship with that, with that guy. I take him down. Um, oh yeah. Venison. I take him venison, whatever he needs. I, I, I get a hold of him before I go down every trip and I bring him stuff. I mean, um, you did him just, a solid, like, you know, you increased his property value. It was, it was time he didn't have to do. It was, it was physical labor he didn't have to do. I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a pretty solid. But but out of all this, like, one, like, you clearly have done some good things in your life to get a solid bounce like this. But, like, you, it also took you thinking, hey, I got to stop and just double check that I'm in the the clear to, to to hunt this area or whatever on that road. And, like, that's such a cool alignment of, of life or whatever, mm -hmm. if you will. That is yeah, so cool, no, I man. agree. Yep. Yep. Super blessed with that. He's a really, really good guy. Um, and I think probably what'll happen one day, cause I had, I mentioned it to him, uh, one other time I said, Hey, you know, if you would ever consider selling just the cabin in the yard, you know, as me and dad would, would definitely be interested in that. And I think that's probably what'll end up happening here, here sometime. Is, yeah. Uh, I think I'll probably have the opportunity to buy it and have it. It's uh so he gave me permission I could hunt all eighty acres of yeah. his ground if I want. So I run some cameras there and stuff. Uh do a little hunting there, not near as much as the public, but it's completely surrounded by public too. So Yeah. Man, that is cool. And and um good on you. I, I think it's it's important to know because I've mentioned this in my neighbors. Um we got a small tract here. Um out, out away from uh where i live or whatever but i've mentioned to my neighbors out there like hey like if you ever want to carve out five ten acres like you know just shoot me a call because you know i think some people it, they don't want to go through the hassle of uh stress of oh if i list this would it sell or you know you never know if somebody's like you know what i'd like to have i'm just going to put a number out 25 grand to put in a new pole barn but i don't you know where can i get that 25 grand oh yeah i could sell that five five acres to chris and his dad or whatever and and that would cover my cash right there. I, I think that's important to note to, to tell people like you might not be shopping this, but if something comes up in the next five, 10 years, you, you know, give me a buzz and I might be in a position to, to essentially be your cash flow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah that, I feel yeah. like uh, one really good thing too, is I'm at like a really good age to have that opportunity. You know what I mean? Cause if I get it in the next couple of years, I'm 28, you know, I got, I got all the rest of my life to have that too. So. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's, that's something like I've uh, I'm kind of got some stuff in play, but like we've also had a couple of vehicles blow up where I have you laugh. I have three car payments and only two of those cars are in the driveway. Uh, so we, <laughs> we got I, I we got to get out from under that. But I've got some stuff in play that I'd like to scoop up like a five or a ten and put in like a like a gravel better gravel pull off uh, or, or or something to, to either pull a camper onto eventually or something. Um, but yeah, I would love to have like a home base with just one ambush point. I just need one ambush point that, that me and my son could hunt something easy or fun. Um, yep, yeah, yep. that is a goal of mine for sure to have me a deer camp someday. Chris, what else? Anything major? Uh, okay. You got the Maryland trip. Are you coming to Ohio for the opener? And then how do you decide where you're hunting come? I'll call it the, the the better half of season. How do you divide your time between PA, Ohio? Does one have a little more value to you? Are you a home buck state killer? Or do you like to 
you know, chase a little better class probably in Ohio. How do you balance that act? So, um, Maryland is so close. Um, I'm not near as picky uh, in that area, but I do have some really good bucks on camera that I would love to get a crack at. Mm -hmm. And I have a really solid plan. If they do something similar to what they had done uh, in the years past, I'll at least have an opportunity, I feel. And then, um, so I'll hunt Maryland for those three weeks. And right now I'm in deciding whether I'm going to be going to Ohio for the opener or staying home because I have a um, pretty special deer at home that uh, that I have my eyes on. So it's basically going to be if that deer is daylighting two days before the opener, I'm staying home. Mm -hmm. But if he's not, if he's not ready to, to play the game, then I'm going to go to Ohio from uh, Saturday till Monday night and then come home. And then I'm going to pound my guts out of this one here at home until he slips. Okay. Um, I love it. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, hopefully, you know, something good comes out of Ohio um, with, the, with the, with the stick bow this year, I still have a big rack in the back of my mind, but uh, if it, if it comes down to it, you know, the first like good buck that gets me excited, I'm probably going to try to kill him. Oh yeah. Uh, cause, yeah. Last year, last year I spent 22 days in Ohio and, uh, until I finally, until I finally shot a buck, I was chasing one. I was basically eighty yards behind his tail the entire season. Oh, jeez, jeez, one of those deals. Yeah, yeah. I uh, did. Did you I, feel there was less targets last year? Did you see an EHD hit? Um, like, like, dude, some areas got decimated, and some areas maybe didn't see uh, quite the reduction. I feel. No, so I didn't see any of it. Uh, I really feel like it didn't come uh, east like okay. super far east yeah, yeah 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 i know around columbus around your area i heard got pretty pretty hammered um yeah as far yeah. as as far as east towards where i'm at i didn't i didn't see any of it okay. but um <clears throat> i will say the sign was dry uh my, the first year that i went down in 21 there was just i had never seen so much buck sign in my entire life i was like wow this is this is ohio <laughs> and <laughs> And then I went down last year in the same areas. It was just completely dry. Like, I didn't hunt one. I don't think I hunted one scrape in Ohio last year. Oh, wow. I just found found so few. Um, I did find some really good ones after season, postseason scouting. But they yeah. were just in areas where I was like, I didn't expect this to be here. Um, yeah, but, I felt um, scrapes in particular weren't touched as much. And I, I had chalked it up to a little bit of a just buck competition die-off. Um, mm -hmm. and I had felt, uh, it was because, okay, like a, a, on a hillside, right. If there's five, six bucks running around normally, right. You got a couple four pointers, a couple rack bucks and some bigger ones. Like the four pointer wasn't pissing in the scrape October 5th to pit, you know, to make the other guy mad. So he wouldn't come over and work it as much. Like I definitely struggled. I felt just like from a lack of buck competition, um, where I was hunting and, and that, that really kind of hurt me and then hurt me mentally where I'm like not confident and i'm like oh it hit here i need to keep moving to find just deer um this year i i, I hope we have just a, a normal roll into spring or whatever uh or roll into fall and uh that way i don't have the mental uh, uh like uh, debacles if you will you but chris the, i appreciate uh, go ahead i was gonna ask you about the uh the population out there do you think the the buck ratio is higher than the does out there or do you think you have a, a good steady herd of does um, I so I think that... It, it, that that is all dependent on the piece. Like my um, 
my my home farm it's a it's a, a higher population in general and i got plenty of does there um if i want to see deer i can see deer there some of the public i hunt it's like um it's less population in general and it's probably closer to to a one-to-one and then I, I do have some some nice plays. I know some pieces of public that have just a better overall population. And those are fun to hunt. But like sometimes like I don't have as many good bucks there. Um, mm-hmm. so, so, so honestly, that that depends um, per county. And sometimes even within a county, like it, it flexes a lot on a, on like a 10 mile stretch. I, it, it, I can't give you a black and white answer on that one. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that the, the sign has a lot to do with that. Uh, if you have a low doe population, I feel like you see a lot more sign because the bucks are competing. Uh, I've actually noticed that because I hunt a second piece of Ohio public. Like there's a, a piece at the cabin and there's a piece two hours away that I, I kind of put my boots on the ground on both of them, run cameras there. And, and they're different in that aspect. Um, there's a lot more buck sign, um, I think, around, around the cabin because I think there's a low population of does. But then I go two hours and I feel like it's obviously you don't see near as much buck sign, but there's a lot more does that I get on, on film. Yeah. And I do think Ohio did a solid a couple years back um, when they kind of had the one doe rule. And then there was obviously some stipulations around when you could harvest the doe. And I think it's gone back to just a, a single doe on public. Like that was a good thing. Cause I, I definitely noticed in my uh, early twenties, there'd be guys that all of a sudden you just do a bunch of deer drives and shooting does on, on the public. And I'm like, they would talk about like, oh yeah, we got permission on this farm down the way, but like they come here for gun season just to fill freezers. And I'm like, mm-hmm. this area can't afford that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've seen as... that. I've seen that last year too. I, I, I mean, I could count on one hand probably how many bow hunters I've seen in Ohio, mm-hmm. but dude, come gun season when we went down and there was just truckloads of guys, like 10, 15 guys in the beds of pickup trucks just driving away. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. A lot of road hunters and a lot of drivers. Yeah, and and um, to me, the some of the local guys that figure out the best drives in and around those areas, those are the deadly ones. The oh, uh, uh, they, those guys put a hurting because they figure some stuff out. They may drive some four wheelers where they shouldn't. Um, some of those local yeah. guys, they they got some drives figured out in some of the those big places. All the old heads, man, they got it figured out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, we uh, we do see a a lot more pressure than we did you know, ten years ago as far as the rut. Like it is definitely a. Uh, a popular destination state. Yeah, hopefully we don't have to deal with a uh, a uh, system here for too long. Putting points yeah. in that was yeah. pretty upsetting. For yeah, I hate it. It's not for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I I secretly hope we we somewhat would mirror some Iowa or or Illinois. I'd even be okay with like a raised tag if it got devoted to resources in the DNR, like you know some of those public land or. Uh, public archery ranges stuff like that like i write in every year on the comments like if you guys want to increase your tag and put it towards resources i'm i'm full game to that because um when i got into the sport there was no place for even me to shoot a bow uh, locally yeah yep yeah. yeah i was just talking uh i was talking to some guys about tag prices the other day and i said dude i said like for me anyhow like ohio is i mean that's that's my place because I can leave here in a day trip to go scout and come home because it's three and a half, four hours. And then mm-hmm. the tag, you know, the tag's like, I think like 270 bucks, I think is what we pay. But I mean, that's half of what an Illinois tag is. Yeah. Yeah. You're not wrong there. 
Chris, I, I should ask you this or, or, or tell a funny story. Uh, this week, I put the pack on and did some stairs at my my office or whatever, and I noticed even like though I do some high volume squat workouts, hamstring uh, deadlifts, some some hamstring isolation stuff, dude. They did not translate as well. I've been slacking on my pack workouts. Do you shift your workouts uh, now that we're getting close and closer to season as far as a little more like what I'll call like ruck or hiker esque? Uh, so that's uh, my my training is um, tenfold different uh, this year to what it was. So um, obviously, I mean you you've seen um, my powerlifting stuff that I have posted. Um, mm. I've been deaf for like eight years, and oh, there was very little if any cardio involved with that. <laughs> but uh, I did like a complete um, turnaround with that. So I kind of stopped competing a little bit, and I competed at the 308 pound weight class. Um, you know, I was just kind of working out because I was tired of waking up, beat up all the time. I had done what I wanted to do with the sport. Mm -hmm. I, kept, I got tired of waking up and sitting on the scale and it said 300 pounds. I was like, you know, it's time to make a change. So this summer I actually dropped 50 pounds off of that. And then um, obviously the, what I was eating wasn't sustainable long, long term. So I just found a comfortable spot um, cruising right around like 265 to 270 now and just feel really, really good. And um, right now, yeah, so after doing all that running, and cardio and stuff like that now it's uh my weight training is gonna is gonna come back a little bit now i'm not gonna focus so much on the on the heavy weights or the high volume stuff i'm gonna do a lot more cardio yeah. um i like this morning like a minimum i'll just go out and just jog a mile and that keeps me up to par and at, at a, my work actually has a gym in the facility so like after my shift i'll go and uh, get some incline stuff on the treadmill like a long hike and then uh, every once in a while, yeah, I'll do some rucking. I'll throw the pack on and put like a 25-pound plate in it and just kind of try to keep everything relevant, you know, uh, replicate what my pack's going to be. And uh, I feel like whitetail hunters, you know, we're not hunting elk, so you don't, you, don't have to, uh, you don't have to run 10 miles a day to be in shape to walk to your half-a-mile tree stand in the mountain. Yeah. Yeah, I notice. Um, yeah, so my plan is to shift some of my running and like leg days to be more like rucking esque or whatever, um, mm -hmm. just to kind of get the get my traps ready to hold that way, get the hip flexors ready. I got a day job, and and that's where I suck is through the like the psoas, the oblique, the hips, and like by throwing that weight on the pack. Like I definitely plan to to actually today I'm gonna go. There's a there's a park near here that that I got a pretty good hundred foot elevation up and down. I'll just repeat the hell out of that for 40 minutes or so. But uh, yeah, I definitely noticed the other day doing the stairs that end of the day, I was like, Hmm, I think I need yep. to get back on some pack workouts, if you will. I think too, that like your mind, I think your mind is stronger than your body ever will be. You know, I feel like you could be in the best shape of your actual life, but if your mind's telling you that, you know, you feel like shit, you don't want to do it. You're probably gonna have a rough hike up the hill. Yeah. Yeah. No, no doubt there. I, I remember uh, the only caveat to that is like a, a cramp on the uh, what I'll call like the hyper or the hiker quad muscle that's like above your knee on the inside. Like <laughs> I notice if I don't if 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 that is a muscle that that cramped on me on a uh, uh, I think I scouted seven miles, six miles that day, shot a deer with a muzzleloader and then had to pack it out. And like I remember going back down in to get it and I could feel it starting to cramp and I was like, Dude, if that goes, like, this is going to absolutely suck. 
Yep. Um, but but yeah, I do feel there's something to like doing a little bit to make sure some of those muscles are ready to go and uh they don't they don't cramp up on you just due to like, hey, I haven't been worked in forever. Uh I'm not used to this. Uh, Andy experienced that on an oak trip where he didn't train as much. Day one, he was he was hurting uh last yep. year. He'll have to tell that story on a podcast. But Chris, I appreciate you coming on. BS and Trad Life, out of state hunts um hunting cabin talk this has been a, a solid listen uh for the guys right before season yeah no absolutely thanks for having me, man i feel like we could probably sit here and bullshit for another hour or two but uh oh yeah yeah nobody listens to three-hour podcast yeah and hey i i will say this too on air i appreciate you kind of following a little bit of my stick boat uh journey slash being a, a resource for me because you uh i found you and you kind of reached out a few times on some of my practice st- or stories where i'm shooting a stick and um, mm-hmm. that community or, or guys wanting you to like, you, you know, pushing you to, 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 yeah, try the stick bow thing. I, I, I wanted to say thank you for that because, uh, yeah, you're a guy now that's in the pocket that I can ask when I got these stupid questions or, or thoughts, if you will. Oh, dude, absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. The, uh, I, I noticed that a lot switching to the trad though. There's a, it's a special group of guys for sure. I have not met one bad guy. Everybody's super willing to help. So, uh, try to keep that, keep that circle. That's right, man. All right, guys. Uh, Chris, where can people find you? Where can they uh, follow your your stuff along? Uh, I got to believe a couple guys are going to check you out after this. Yeah, so pretty much everything that I do is just on Instagram, and my handle is uh, Unleash the Weast. Yeah, I every like time, it. Every time I'm in the timber, I either, you know, unless it's a secret spot, I got a story or trying to, trying to post stuff as much as I can for, for everybody, so. That's right. I like it. And then uh, there's some big plates going up there. If you scroll down a little bit, as far as uh, some of your past power, power lifting days, it's, it's cool to see. All right, guys, thanks for listening.